Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. <laughs> Tommy, Ocean Chinook or Puget Sound Coho? What is your palate favorite? And you drop yeah. that kokanee on top of that barn door halibut's head. 67 feet of water, and he was not happy about that. Well, I don't know. What do you think? Boxers or briefs? Ooh, I'm going to have to go with a European cut speedo. Fantastic. Excellent choice. I yeah. love tuna. I do love tuna. Heck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I have a buddy who refers to Canadian geese as flying carp. Obviously, he's not cooking them. <laughs> <laughs> he clearly, right? Oh, ocean snook. Seriously? Hands down. Really? Hands down. I don't fish for coho. Ah, good point. Hey, speaking of grind, can you tell the difference between ground deer and ground elk? Honestly, taste the difference. You know, Dwayne, we only get one chance to live this life, mm -hmm. and you will always regret the things that you don't do. So you know what I tell people? Buy the damn boat. Hey, you know, the facts are, some days are just a grind. Welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest, the number one fishing and hunting talk show throughout the Pacific Northwest and beyond. Now here's your host, Dwayne England, and of course, the infamous Tommy Donlan. Hey, welcome back to Fish Hunt Northwest. Dwayne England flying solo here in studio this evening. Uh, you got some, uh, got some comments and things to get out there. Go ahead and hit us up on the old messenger, trying to pay attention to that as much as we can. Get some questions answered as we progress on through. And uh, thanks, everybody, for chiming in. Congratulate me on my buck. Yes, it was a great day. Satisfying hunt, to say the least. And uh, now I can focus back on fishing once the water drops. We got a little bit of water out there, in case you aren't familiar. And, of course, we have tons of waterfowl coming up. Cannot wait to go after some, some big mallards and some big tasty snow geese. So lots to look forward to as we get into the winter. Now, one thing that's going to be a little bit of a point of contention here for a lot of folks WDFW held a second installment of their virtual town hall meetings. There are four of them slated to get through this process, okay? So it is, uh, it is a very challenging time. Last year, when they un, you know, kind of unveiled the rules of engagement as they were, a lot of folks were not happy, including myself. I thought, man, this is, just seems over the top, and the, the extreme measures we're taking but when you really start drilling down on the numbers and taking it all in as to what's truly going on with our fisheries management and in regards to steelhead, hey, the bottom line is here, we're in trouble. WDFW has done a great job on gathering intel and information and putting this out there. Now, a lot of folks may still be kind of posturing to say, hey, it's just a smoke and mirror show. They don't really give a crap about what the recreational community thinks. They're just doing this to try and get brownie points. Now, if you're in that camp, you know, I'm not gonna probably persuade you to change your mind, but I've talked to some of these folks, James Losey James Los, James in particular, um, who has put in an enormous amount of work. I tip my hat to that man because the amount of intel they are gathering to truly track and figure out what's going on with our steelhead is an enormous, enormous amount of work that uh, they're willing to take on to try and give us any and all opportunities we have when it comes to the harvest of hatchery steelhead. So it is kind of a doom and gloom report. I mean, as you sit and watch, and if you, if you missed it, you can still get to it, and I'll, I'll point that out to you in a bit here. But if you sit and watch this presentation, you're going to walk away going, man, we're, we're in serious trouble, if you can just have an open mind and believe the numbers, okay? So it's not, um, it's not looking favorable at all. The presentation is kind of twofold, okay? It shows 
that uh, most of the wild stocks from even last year, last year was one of the lowest, it was the lowest on record as far as the cumulative numbers coming in for the greater coastal region, north and south. This year, the numbers are coming in even lower than that. Perhaps if you follow the show like a month ago when we started or entertained these discussions, you realize I had mentioned, hey, all we got to do is kind of look at Columbia River this year and how it's performing, all right? If you dig up some numbers on the Columbia River in the performance of Steelhead this year, you're going to find that by late August, towards the end of August, they had only accounted for 29,000 Steelhead over Bonneville Dam. That is the lowest recording of Steelhead in history. That is the lowest recording of Steelhead over Bonneville at that time of year since they started tracking steelhead over Bonneville Dam. That is saying something. Is it a management issue? Is it a harvest issue? You know, you want to say commercial harvest, but in in any part of our state where steelhead are harvested commercially, it's by tribal, okay? So you don't, people try to lump this all in much like salmon management, we have non-tribal gill netters and non-tribal commercial harvest of salmon out there. We don't have that with steelhead, okay? There's not enough steelhead to have that type of an impact on them. We can't even get enough steelhead back to have recreational harvest. You think there's going to be commercial uh, harvesting going on out there? And I'll get into some of these numbers a little bit later here. Uh, as far as what happened with WDFW as it, as it reflects on recreational opportunities last year, and truly what the numbers that were provided whether you believe them or not, the numbers that were provided by co-managers and what their impact on some of these uh, drainages or some of these systems were last year. So we look at the numbers. We knew going into it, Bonneville had proven the Columbia River forecast and run is coming in dismal, which is a major concern. So you got to go into this winter thinking, uh, you know, it's not like flipping a light switch here. Last year was dismal. This year, the numbers are coming in even a couple thousand below what last year ended up performing. Now, if we think back last year, they anticipated just over 28,000 fish would be coming back. It ended up somewhere in around 25 and some change, which means WDFW overforecasted by 14%. Okay, This year, they're anticipating the accumulative effort of the rivers in the preliminary forecasts. Accumulative numbers are in around just a little over 26,000. Now, that should be concerning because if we think back to the mid-80s, we had rivers in of themselves, i.e. the Puyallup and the Cowlitz. They would kick out well over 10,000 fish uh, on their own. We had mid-80s. The Puyallup River had over 10,000 fish returning combination of wild and hatchery, but, you know, 10,000 fish. Cowlitz River, I remember mid-80s, we had years of in excess of 10,000 fish. We are talking seven main rivers in their tributaries uh, throughout this coastal region, accumulative 26,000 fish, okay? So if we don't think that that's a major issue, uh, you need to really wake up and pay attention to what's going on. Now, this is the second presentation in a series of meetings. There are, like I mentioned, two more town halls that will be coming up in November. And then there will be a uh, finalization presentation to the commission in December. And ultimately, WDFW will present the season that they're moving forward with as we get into early December. So the season is set, the rules are engaged and in place as we roll into December through March, April, as you recognize a steelhead season of what it used to be. Um, you can find all that information, wdfw.wa.gov, type in news. It's going to go right to that list of all the news bullet points that have come out recently and continue to come out, wdfw.wa.gov.news. 
and you can scroll through that. You may have to go through it a couple times, but you can scroll through that and you're going to find the title of the next up and coming meetings. All right. Some numbers to look at here. Steelhead management plan. You see, we got a lot of numbers in the gray. What that is basically showing is that if you look at the, the couple of the positives, and there's only a couple, okay, the Quileute, 42% above escapement goal, the Ho, 31% above escapement goal. Now, keep in mind, these are on wild fish. Hatchery fish don't matter when it comes to recovery efforts. These are strictly goals set by WDFW and the co-managers on obtaining uh, spawning escapement goals on wild fish. Those are the two uh, highlights, okay? If we look at the rest of this, you know, Shehala system, 34% below uh, escapement needs. The, uh, the Queets, the Clearwater, the Hump Tulip, 16% below, and the Upper Quinault, 30% below escapement. So basically our numbers are in the toilet here. Uh, again, they over forecasted 14% last year. This year, uh, they're looking at an estimated 26,000 or so for all them rivers combined. That is concerning. When we look at the 2021-22 fishery proposals, okay, you'll see that there's uh, four options that they're discussing. Basically, it comes down to four options. We have uh, coastwide closure, which some are advocating for, which would be detrimental to a lot of those coastal communities, guides, and, of course, opportunity for recreational folks not to uh, engage and it also weighs in on what the co-managers then ultimately will have to decide to do. Uh, last year's regulations simply input into this year's forecast. Now, if we look at last year's regulations um, and we just simply apply that to this year's forecast, the problem is we have a couple thousand fish less coming this year than we had last year. And last year they put those rules in motion, and um, you know it was beneficial. They reduced. Uh, they reduced. Uh, encounter rates by not fishing from boats by 56%, I believe is somewhere in James's uh, uh, presentation there. Reduction of encounters by 56%, which sounds pretty amazing uh, when it's in the efforts of recovery, though frustrating if you're a recreational angler, because look, who doesn't want to catch and release fish when given the opportunity? So getting back to the fishery proposals, we can look at another option is last year's regulations with reduced days get into that here in a minute and then status quo with reduced days uh, per week so as you look at that when we talk about last year's regulations unprecedented basically we were fishing uh, no fishing from boats bait restrictions single point barbless hook um, and some other measures a lot of folks had difficulty with that and I was frustrated on the on the standpoint that hey uh, you know elderly persons older persons who are not as agile mobile are going to have difficulty in getting out and, and enjoying these fisheries. Having to get in and out of a boat multiple times throughout the day to simply get on a gravel bar and fish is difficult for some people. So we're excluding a certain percentage of folks. And WDFW was not going to authorize uh, disability permits and things like that. It didn't happen. Um, so we're, we're looking at, you know, park in the boat, get out, park in the pontoon, park in the raft, whatever, get out, bank fish wading in water up to your uh, thighs the other difficulty with that last year we had several or significant high water events which made um, navigating the river just fine but there wasn't a lot of shoreline to approach put the boat next to and or get out and fish certain stretches of, of, of water so those regulations really tightened the opportunity for folks and pressure in some regards was down but overall pressure was was uh 
pretty much normal as far as the numbers would indicate in, in other parts of uh, the presentation um, that they had put out there. So they, uh, they did a nice job, James did a nice job on analysis of fishery proposals, okay? And basically what this is, is taking some of the regulations that they imposed last year based on also some of the options that are being presented. And they're kind of melding these together. And it's in a red block, green block. You know, red means a no-go, green means a go. This is kind of dialing it down for you. It really shows you if we implement these regulations on this year's forecast and on these rivers with those numbers forecasted, does it allow us to have a fishery? Do we have access to those uh, rivers? And if so, how many days a week can we afford to do that? And if you look at it, you know, last year's regulations on this year's forecast, minimizing one to three days per week, um, we have some opportunity to fish. And to be honest, in some of these rivers, you may be looking at one day. Now look, don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. And I'm not saying that's where this is going. There are still a couple more meetings to get through. There are uh, opp There is opportunity for persons to weigh in. Um, you know, some would say, hey, why can't we just target fish early? Why can't we fish from our boats and use bait on these hatchery fish in December and January and then close the fishing off for the wild fish? Well, we do have statistical data to support on the steelhead management plan that there are certain rivers that receive an early push of wild fish. And later in season, you have additional rivers that get the bulk of their fish. So if we go with the mindset, we're gonna fish early because the hatchery re the fish return early. Our encounter rate on some of these early producing wild streams would be detrimental. And uh, within the presentation, there's definitely graphs that would uh, allude to that. We have one here, the red and the blue, it kind of breaks it down. The blue, the blue indicates those rivers where you have that early return of wild fish in the earlier months that you would be targeting uh, some of those, some of those uh, hatchery fish. So it's checks and balances, folks. And, you know, they're trying to find and craft and draft seasons that are going to allow us to have time on the water um, and not have a tremendous impact on the wild fish. If we end up looking at the similar same restrictions as last year, no fishing from floating devices, uh, single point barbless hook, no bait, no scent, um, all those same rules apply. And now we're also looking at one to three days. And I got to tell you, based on some of these numbers, and I'm just going to throw it out there, I think on some of our rivers, I honestly think we may be looking at a one or two day per week fishery. Now, the frustration with that is if you only got one or two days per week to get on those rivers and fish, everybody's showing up on that one or two day. So are we really doing anything in the realm of conservation? Is that creating more of a problem? Well, it creates a problem on those days where everybody wants to fish, but you have the five or six days per week where the fish are not encountered. You have the five or six days per week where the fish can navigate their way up the river uh, unimpeded. So, you know, there is some, there is some method to the madness. Uh, yes, uh, Pete, I agree. So sad. Who would have thought that with the numbers of steelhead we had in the 80s, in the 90s, and even in the 2000s in some regards, some of the returns we were looking at, that we would be here on the brink of disaster to the point where last year was bad, this year the numbers are even worse, we're, we're, we're drilled down on a handful of rivers on our coastal opportunity, 
And we're trying to come up with seasons to save the, the very few last remaining fish that we have, you know, opportunity on. It's not as simple as just throwing more hatchery fish at the problem to allow recreational uh, anglers to have opportunity on hatchery fish. You know, fortunately for salmon and salmon management, we have the orca uh, situation which has evolved into pumping way more Chinook salmon into our rivers and hatcheries, giving recreational uh, anglers much more opportunity in some regards on some of those fisheries. But steelhead fishery is even more complicated than our salmon management. Steelhead fishery is so tightly managed on the ESA listing stocks of these steelhead and the uh, the you know goals of bringing back the wild steelhead that it it's not going to happen. We're not going to get those, we're not going to get that big push of hatchery fish uh, put into these streams thinking that that's going to resolve the issue. All this information that they're putting out, all this structure that they're putting together to present these plans and these opportunities is all based on wild fish numbers. Hatchery fish don't count. Uh, when it comes to this, yes, they put hatchery fish in the rivers, and yes, recreational anglers should have opportunity to go after them. But I'm telling you, within steelhead management, the, uh, the rules and regulations are so tight that um, until we get a turnaround on a lot of these wild fish numbers, we are up against it. And I, I dare say that if this year we don't see a slight bump and if there's anticipation of dropping a couple thousand fish uh, out of it next year on next year's return, I'm pretty sure at some point they're going to say, that's it. You know, we have to close this entire thing down. So... I don't know where this is going to land. Uh, I can just, I just have a gut feeling that it's not going to be favorable. I think if we do have a season, it's going to be short. I think it's going to be a couple days a week. And guaranteed, the rules that applied last year are going to apply this year. So, again, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just bringing you the information that is out there. You can go to www.tvw.org backslash watch. You can find the information on uh, WDFW's a website and or go to wdfw.wa.gov uh, news, type in news, and you get the links that will navigate you through into this particular presentation that lives there on the internet now. You can also find it on YouTube. Um, simply type in under YouTube, uh, WDFW uh, Steelhead Town Hall number two, and it seems to come right up. So there's some Definite ways to find it. And the easiest way is simply go to our Facebook page because I posted a link up there for you to click on and watch. The first half of it gets through the presentation. The second half of it is a lot of folks asking questions. So if you really just want to get the information, watch the first half of the presentation from James Losey, and you're going to get the gist of this information. And then stay, uh, stay on top of it as we move forward. The next meeting's coming up. If you've got some things to say, want to have uh, your voice heard, be sure to tune in on those meetings and uh, get involved. So, all right, that is where that lands. We're going to jump out for a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to get my buddy Tom Ryle on the phone. If you're still out pursuing your blacktail, you have a few days left to do it. Is the weather going to be favorable? We got some cooling weather and lack of rain finally as we turn the corner here getting into the weekend. Is that change of conditions going to make it more advantageous to go find that blacktail? Stick around. We'll jump out for a break. Tom Ryle, uh, Pacific Northwest bow hunting on the phone. We come back right here, Fish on Northwest. Sportco, an outdoor emporium, is the largest local outfitter in the Northwest since 1975, providing thousands of people affordable outdoor gear. 
Make your next outdoor adventure more affordable by shopping at our warehouse-style pricing. We are a local Scotty dealer, offering sales, service, and repair. Located in Fife and Seattle, come visit us today. The outdoors await you. It's easier than ever to browse homes and connect with an agent on the go with Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate's mobile app. With the app, your home search is synced across all of your devices, so you can pick up your home search anytime, anywhere. Take full advantage of an enriched, mobile-optimized map search experience. Use location services to quickly find homes near you that match your search criteria. Draw your own map boundaries to find homes in a specific area, and apply layers to view school districts, neighborhoods, zip codes, and more. The app's user-friendly design makes it easier than ever to find a home you'll love. Narrow down your search results, save your search criteria, and save your favorite homes. You can browse your saved homes in a list view that puts photos and key details, like price and square footage, right at your fingertips. Or check out your saved homes displayed on the map. Hey, welcome back to Fish on Northwest. Wayne England here, live in studio. Uh, Many, many great questions being thrown at me here. One uh, from Dean, I want to say, are the co-managers going to limit their days also? Uh, as we were running low on time, I didn't quite get to that portion of the information. You know, last year, and I got a little graph here I'm just going to re refer to. So the, the projection of the tribal take last year, say for uh, Chehalis, was going to be 104 fish. They ended up taking 32. Hump tulips, it was going to be 19. They ended up taking 10 fish, okay? Um, and then on some of the other systems, the hoe uh, had uh, much more opportunity and were over escapement. There was 240 they anticipated uh, harvesting. They took 230. So a few of the other rivers that they... Uh, had planned to impact, they substantially cut back on. And going into this year, to be honest, uh, from the information that's coming out, as they draft or craft these seasons, um, with WDFW, look, uh, they're going to be restricting us as recreational folks tremendously. And so some of these harder hit uh, rivers that are coming in well below escapement numbers uh, in need, you know, the ones that are 40% low, 30% low, I'm pretty sure the tribes are going to have minimal impact. But We'll have to wait and see where that goes and what information is provided uh, as the seasons come together. But it's always a fair question. If we got to take you know, time out on the sidelines, we want to make sure that the, <clears throat> the co-managers are doing their part as well and not over-harvesting when we have such dire conditions and lack of fish returning. All right, with that, I want to introduce our first guest of the evening, no stranger to the studio and or on the phone on a regular basis, Tom Ryle, good buddy of mine, Pacific Northwest bow hunting, and he has been out there daily in all this downpour and wind, including today. Isn't that right, Tom? That is right. Yeah, I'm finally dried out a little bit, but it's been uh, it's been a rough couple days for sure. <laughs> you think? Uh, <laughs> every day as we're on the phone chatting, me, you, and uh, Steve Kramer, everybody knows Steve Kramer, and the three of us, we tend to generate quite a bit of blacktail conversations and texting conversations throughout the season every year. I look forward to it and I love our <clears throat> our information flying back and forth. And you know, as I am realizing you are out here day in day out with your bow during rifle season trying to get that deer, I am so glad I took the shot I did last week <laughs> looking at the weather, you know. 
Like, yeah. Well, it's like they say, you know, be, be, be okay with the buck that you would shoot on the last day on the first right. day. So absolutely. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the weather pattern that we're kind of stuck in for right now. Albeit it's going to change, I believe starting tomorrow, but you know, it's been, I've been led to believe and I've seen it happen and, and others would maybe say the same. Curious on your opinion, this weather that we've seen from the day I shot my buck on the 23rd up until now, it's pretty much been raining and windy every day. Would you rather have a day like that or a day of maybe cooler temperatures, a little sunshine, maybe a little wind? What's your ideal conditions and what do you think this wind and rain is doing to these animals right now? Well, it's a good question and, and I think the answer varies, right? So most people that that have spent time hunting blacktails know that, you know, you want that first good storm. Um, deer tend to be up and moving during the wind and the rain. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that, but it is something about blacktails and, and this late October weather that is synonymous. Um, that said, when it's this bad, um, I think, and, and, and clearly by now, there's a lot of deer on the ground. There's a lot yeah. of deer been tagged. There's a lot of people listening to this that have got a nice three by three in the garage that was just lovesick on a doe and, and they popped them in a clear cut or whatever. So just take what I'm going to say here with a grain of salt, but, um, you know, I, I like a good wet rainy day. I like drizzly days when it's cool. Bucks will stay active longer during the day. Um, but when you get into all this wind and stuff, I think it can, it can, it can make deer a bit skittish. Um, they'll tend to hole up a little bit more in the thick stuff. And I've seen some tending behavior already. Um, the other night, you know, about this, I had a nice four by four buck Mm -hmm. tending a doe about 50 yards from my stand and the salmon berries and they weren't coming out of there. I had no shot opportunity with my bow. I think with a rifle, I would have been able to make a neck shot. No problem. Um, that being said, you know, that was a few days ago. So I think a lot of bucks are in lockdown with does early. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say early because it's not really early. It, it always varies. Um, I think peak breeding is still around the 12th of November, but I think there's a lot of uh, early breeding that can happen toward this last couple of days of this early season. And then into the first week of November, you'll start seeing a lot more active breeding. Yeah. Um, but back to the weather, back to the weather real quick. Um, I think, you know, if you've got good deer densities and you've got the right habitat, you'll see deer active all day. In other cases, you may find that deer kind of hole up and, and depending on what's going on there, they may uh, hunker down a bit. So if we have some, you know, one thing I've noticed over the years is that you can have one particular area where the bucks seem to just be all rutted up and just going like gangbusters out during the middle of the day, running all over, just, you know, tongue hanging out, drooling. And you got other areas maybe five, 10 miles away where they're just kind of just not doing a whole lot of anything, you know? So Right. Or a a mile away. Or a mile away. Yeah. 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 Or a mile away. So uh, any particular area that you may be hunting right now, if you're seeing some activity like that, or you recognize there, there could be some bucks already got some does locked down, or you got some tending, some tending activity going, you know, to sit in the darkness in a tree stand and listen to them running and grunting and attending and wheezing and just doing all those interesting things, you know, what should I be thinking? There's the, there's the top three that you advocate at certain times of the year when appropriate. Scent, rattling, and calling. What, you mm-hmm. know, based right now on the weather conditions and the time of year, put those in order of importance and which one you would utilize in and why. 
So again, the weather's throwing a bit of a monkey wrench in things. I like a cold, crisp morning to rattle because the sound carries. Uh, when you're out in the canopy with the maples and, and all the, the, the rain pelting down, the sound doesn't carry very well. I've been doing a lot of fawn balls um, because I'm trying to really reach out to, to cruising bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, has not, not been effective for me yet. Um, you, you just never know when you're going to reach that buck that wants to, to investigate. But I think, you know, right now rattling is certainly a top tactic. I would probably put it above calling, you know, we calling is rattling, but I mean, calling with like deer vocalization. Calls, yeah, yeah. They're just not going to carry very far. So I would sight call. So if I saw a buck moving or cruising or whatever, I'm going to probably grunt at him pretty loudly to penetrate the wind and rain to get his attention just enough to get him to stop and look. And then I'm not going to make another sound and see what, you know, if I can pull him in that way. Um, rattling is kind of a blind calling uh, approach. And I tend to do that in a sense in a tree stand. I'll do that every, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, mm-hmm. um, during this late last couple of days in the, uh, season. Um, and scent right now is is a tough one. We're getting a lot of rain. Um, I actually have been laying some scent drags uh, in and around my stand. I'm in some big timber next to a swamp, and there's a lot of trails that meander through there. So I'm trying to to scent up those trails a bit. So far, I'm not having any success. I did have a doe come and get pretty nervous on one of my scent drags, and and that can happen. And you got to watch out for that. Uh, because she's smelling a, a, an estrus scent. Um, I'm using James Valley full rut gel, which is, uh, you know, doe and heat mm-hmm. scent glands. And, and so she's, she came in with a button buck fawn and was very nervous, but there wasn't a buck in tow, not a buck in sight. And they yeah. hung out probably 40 minutes and never saw another deer in there. So it's really strange that only two nights later I had a doe in there being tended with a, by a, a, a nice buck. And she was not running from him. Um, that's one thing that, you know, you got to watch for. The, the chase phase is when bucks are physically running and chasing deer around. When you get into, you start seeing a doe that takes 10 steps and turns around and looks back or squats and pees. Yeah. She's, she's act- actively being tended. She's allowing this to happen. She's right. not trying to get away from that right. buck. Right. So that's something to watch for. If you see a doe that's looking behind her, taking steps and looking back um, into a timber patch or, <clears throat> excuse me, anywhere, if you see a doe looking back behind her over her shoulder uh, and you got a tag in your pocket, get ready because she's likely waiting for a buck mm, to catch up to her. That's a good point. All right, we got a couple minutes left here. Uh, before we close this out, give me the number one in your opinion, number one thing a hunter could possibly do over the next three days with the change of weather coming, a little drier, mm-hmm. a little cooler temperatures, yep. not as much yep. wind, what do you think is the number one yep. thing a hunter should focus on to hopefully seal the deal in the next three days? I'll tell you what, if I could turn back time, I would have sat out the last two days and I would bank on Friday and Saturday. We're getting a 10 degree yeah. uh, shift, a 10 degree drop in temperature, both for our daytime high and our overnight lows, getting down to 36 Saturday night. Right. You're going to see things kick off in a big way in the next couple of days. Yeah. It's a good point. Good point. Yeah. Uh, Tom Ryle, always a pleasure. Never enough time. Pacific Northwest bow hunting folks can track you down there and uh, send you messages on Facebook if they got questions for you, I'm assuming. 
Sure. Or email me, Tom at tnwbowhunting.com. I've been helping a bunch of new hunters this year. In fact, I took time out today to call a guy who just moved up here from California and, uh, I've been on X mapping with him, trying to get him on some deer. So nice. yeah, it's, it's a busy time, but, um, it's a really great time to be out in the woods. And, um, I would say for anyone who's tagged a buck, man, you're not done. Get out there and scout, keep glass cuts, you know, go, go figure out what's happening in your, yeah. you know, this is a good time to bank some info for next right, year. For next season. Yep. Get your intel yep. going early. Absolutely. All right, buddy. Always a pleasure. Yep. Thanks for taking the time. You bet. Thanks. Yeah. Talk to you later, Dan. Yep. You Bye. bet. Have a good night. All right, Tom Ryle, Pacific Northwest Bow Hunting. Look him up on Facebook and or uh, check out his uh, webpage. Always a wealth of knowledge, wealth of information, one to uh, stay in contact with for sure. Jump out for a quick break. We come back. Brett Rosen, president of Fish Northwest. You guys have been asking what's going on with the lawsuits. We're going to get the president himself on the phone to get us up to speed on where we're landing on those lawsuits with Fish Northwest. We come back right here at Fish Hunt Northwest. A Northwest favorite for almost 40 years, Arima boats are manufactured with pride right here in Bremerton, Washington. Arima Boats offers all of our boats with Honda outboard packages so that you can take full advantage of the reliability and five-year top-to-prop warranty from your Honda outboard. With literally thousands of Arima Boats on the water throughout the Pacific Northwest, Arima Boats are a proven hull design that offers incredible fuel economy and all of the amenities that a serious angler is looking for. All Arima boats are built without any structural wood materials. That is why we back our boats with a lifetime warranty. All of our Arima boats are designed to maximize deck space while also providing ample seating. Contact us today at Arima Boats for all your boating needs and let us help you get out on the water. Today, the need for quality private security services is at an all-time high. Contract Security Service provides day-to-day -day peace of mind as they protect people and property. Here at Phoenix, we provide service for multiple state and federal contracts with services ranging from uniform, patrol, alarm monitoring, canine detection, executive protection, as well as investigative work. Phoenix client management models are built on understanding our client's security needs and responding with a tailored program that is best fit for them. Phoenix provides excellent customer service through well-trained, highly motivated security professionals. Recruiting highly qualified officers is the first step in building a strong team. Currently, we are comprised of 70% prior law enforcement and military veterans. If you are prior military or law enforcement, go to www.phoenixprotectivecorps.com and apply today. All right, here we go. Welcome back, Fish on Northwest. As we're winding down the uh, the hour, it goes by awful quick. We got to get in and get out on this info. So, next on the docket, Brett Rawson, uh, President Fish Northwest. You guys have been asking what's been going on with the lawsuits. Been in contact with him and both Mark, uh, trying to keep up on what exactly has been happening. Brett, haven't uh, talked in a while, but uh, we got some definite movement. Let's catch everybody up on the lawsuits. First of all, welcome to the show. Glad to finally get you on. Thank you, Dwayne. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you giving us the time. Oh, absolutely. So let's uh, let's back up real quick. A little history lesson. 
um, to the original lawsuit. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you guys ended up eventually filing two lawsuits. But let's back up to the original one. Now, is that not the one that has to do with allocation? Yeah, so the first lawsuit was filed a little over a year ago. And uh, it's still in the courts. We're still waiting for the judge, Judge Martinez, to uh, pick it up and deal with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was over the Bolt case. It was over a 50-50 allocation. Basically, we've been able to show with with data directly from Fish and Wildlife that we're not getting getting our 50%. You know, basically, Bolt says that it's supposed to be divided, and then we're supposed to manage our own half, and that's been stopping happening. They've been getting more than... Uh, they being the, the tribes, the beginning more than their 50%, and then they proceed to manage our remaining percent, whatever it is we get. And sure. we've objected to that. We're not asking to be fisheries managers. We're asking for a judge to come in and set things straight here. Basically, both sides have refused to follow the dictates and the, and the rules of the road. Uh, when you guys first filed a lawsuit, didn't you get pushed back and saying that, hey, we're, you're not going to be recognized as fishery managers? And that's why you kind of alluded to that. And then you had to come back and say, well, we're not asking to be recognized as fishery managers. We're just asking for, you know, our 50%. Isn't that kind of some of the verbiage that went back and forth? Yeah, exactly right, Wayne. We had some folks from our side of the fence accuse us of trying to do that. We had some people from the other side as well Yeah, accuse us of trying to be fisheries managers. And we had to keep pointing. We still have to continually point to the fact that we're actually asking the judge to come in and read the rules and then make the state and the tribes follow the rules. Yeah. That's what we're asking to do. We're not, I mean, I'm not qualified to manage fisheries. Right. It's a highly complex issue. But I know that a judge and some, some folks can come in and look at what, what's supposed to be done and how it's supposed to be played and, uh, and referee the situation. That's what we're asking for. Let's back up if we could and just uh, walk down the list of folks you guys originally named in the lawsuit and then who still is named in the current lawsuit as it sits uh, right now in front of the judge. Yeah, well, originally, of course, with the first lawsuit, it's, uh, it's you know, State Fish and Wildlife and, and the Treaty Tribe. And then it gets a little more complex because anytime you're talking about fish that are listed in the ESA, you have to involve NIMS. So it, 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 there's a lot of different agencies that are involved. But for the most part, um, the state and the tribes are not following the bulk case or the bulk decision mm-hmm. as it's been laid out. And, but that gets into the federal level too, because as you know, uh, the Bolt case became a federal case. And sure. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah. So it's not isolated just to, uh, just to Washington State. I remember there being some pushback when you guys uh, launched this up there in uh, Seattle District Court. Uh, and there were some, some constituents on our side that were very concerned it was going to, you know, overturn the apple cart, so to speak, as we enter into North of Falcon for this uh, current season we're in. So backing up prior to North of Falcon kicking off to set the rules of engagement for 2021, um, there was some pushback and folks were very concerned that this was going to make it difficult to negotiate with the tribes. Did you see any trickle down from that? Did you get any words back from those involved in those negotiations that what you guys were doing was impeding their ability to have fair and equitable negotiations with the co-managers in the North of Falcon process? Yeah, so this kind of gets into the, the second lawsuit. And one of the first things that we tried to address right out of the gate with the second lawsuit was this issue of a Section 7 permit. And just briefly what that is, it's a one-year stopgap permit that allows both the state and the tribes to go fishing uh, when there's not a long-term permit. Right. So 
So since there's no long-term agreement, we have to have this one-year agreement. And that permit has to go through a certain channel. And without getting too into it, basically, there has to be an organization from which that channel is run through. And they chose, they being, you know, both sides, Mm -hmm. uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs, BIA. And uh, we challenged in our suit that that was not legitimate because Bureau of Indian Affairs really has nothing to do with fish and fishing in Puget Sound. Sure. Um, We also challenged that because the permit was run through the BIA, that means that the permit was really given to the Indian tribes. Mm-hmm. So every time we walked into the room to to quote unquote negotiate North Falcon, they held all the cards because you know, you're walking in the room and you're saying, let's, let's negotiate. But one side says, well, if you don't agree with us, we're going to walk, we're going to get the fish and you guys aren't. You're not going to get, yeah. Yeah. We're riding their coattails yeah. on their permit. And if we can't come to agreement and agree to their terms, we're not permitted. We saw this in 2016, uh, Unsworth yeah, yeah, at the time, right? It, it, yeah, exactly. And so we pointed this out year after year that this was a real problem. And, uh, you know, to be honest, Ron Warren and, and Mark Fossell from the state would come back in and say, look, guys, we know you're getting, you're not happy. We know you guys are getting screwed, but there's nothing we can do because our hands are tied. They've got the permit that we can't object. We have to agree. They would literally come and tell us this. I was a sport fish advisor for many years. Sure. And, uh, and we would just have to just take it, you know. So one of our, one of the initial things that Mark and I, Retail and I went out after was the Section Seven. That was one of our first things to to, to tackle. And um, when we when we announced that, some folks pushed back and said, "Well, if you you know if, if you rock the boat too much, the tribes are just going to walk away, and we're not going to get the fish at all." Because basically, what some folks were saying was that that uh, we were being allowed to be permitted on the BIA permit by the tribes. That mm-hmm. was kind of a favor they were doing. You know, and that if that if we stood our ground during the Falcon, or if we pushed back and God forbid try to get our own permit, that we would be disallowed to even, you know, coattail sure. on the on the BIA permit. So there was this kind of the scare tactic going on that, that don't rock the boat because if you do, no one's gonna get the fish. You know, and we, we yeah. knew that wasn't true. Yeah. And we pointed that out multiple times. So I, I think that's kinda of what you're getting at is yeah, yeah. Is, and in the in the end we proved and I was just on a phone call about a week and a half ago with the director of Fish and Wildlife and some other folks. They actually invited me on, which was surprising because I've been oh, poking them in the eye for sure. about a year, right? Verbally and and written, you know, I haven't haven't held back one bit. But yeah, they invited me on this phone call. Supposed uh, fishing leaders of the Puget Sound. Oh, kind of funny. I got invited, but anyways, um, I asked the director point blank. I mean, right up front. You know, I said, "Look, you guys, NIMS has approved the Section Seven permit." you now have the ability to use it, will you? And he said, Brett, you're right. We do now have the ability. He said, for years, but that was incorrect. And the new 2021 buyout now shows us that we do have the ability to get our own Section 7 permit. But he said he really doesn't, at this time, see a a position where we have to use it. I said, so you won't use it? He says, I'm not saying I won't use it. But he said, I don't, you know, we don't really want to go down that path because I think basically what it is, is it shows that they're not being cooperative. Mm-hmm. And that's how you have to, have to understand this comes from Jay Inslee yeah. down through a, a, a person named JT Austin and JT Austin sits in all these negotiations. Right. She's the, she's a lackey for Inslee and uh, she pay, she pulls the strings behind, behind the curtain there. Mm-hmm. And, and basically director, you know, does whatever 
Inslee says. And yeah. he has said he hired Director Susslin to be cooperative with the tribe and to never push back on any measure. Mm. And this is just an example of that. He's not going to push back. He's not going to pursue. He's not going to use this option that Fish Northwest gained him through middle action mm-hmm. to get our own Section 7 permit. I promise you, 2022, it won't happen. Interesting. But so we, did, but we did have a legal win. We did force NIMS to, to admit that uh, they should have all along, and they actually put it in the 2021 buy-up, and the director admitted to me straight to my face, well, via Zoom, that it is actually there for their, for their use if they want that's uh that's impressive that's a huge leap in our uh you know the favorable direction uh to say the least so congrats on that and uh get, i mean that's it's not a win if he doesn't use it well it's not a win if he doesn't use it but yeah. i mean so far you know it's yeah. it's one it's one that has been corrected that's been wrong for so long so a couple minutes left here brett if you can wrap it up what uh, what's next where do you see the uh, pending lawsuits going and what are you hoping the outcome will be on the allocation uh resolve so yeah i mean you guys may have seen our facebook post uh, uh, about two weeks ago judge dilly who's the, the judge who was assigned to our our second case and by the way he's about 86 years old and he was the guy that, that originally ruled on the uh on an owl issue mm-hmm. <laughs> you can remember that back in the 80s and 90s but uh, um he has ruled to uh Defendants being the, the, the attorneys for, for NIMS, uh, asked for our case to be dismissed across the board. And our case is broken up into many different parts. And uh, essentially what happened is, is Zilli uh, agreed to dismiss uh, the components of the case, some with prejudice, some without. What that means is some are dismissed completely, meaning he won't hear any more words about them. Mm. And others are dismissed to the point where he, he actually is allowing us to provide more amplified information. So that's where we're at. Okay. Uh, so when you hear this dismissed, it's kind of alarming. So what we're at, uh, where we're at right now, Dwayne, is, is actually our, we're working the next three or four days to get everything to get together, but we're, we're putting together the amplified information that Dilly requested of us, and we're submitting it by, by Monday. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's intact, as far as the lawsuit is concerned, is the main portion of it, which is that the wild fish are being over-harvested uh, in the rivers. And that's causing a severe decline in the wild fish recovery or severe decline of wild fish overall throughout Puget Sound, but in particular the recovery of the ESA listed stock. That decline is in turn triggering cuts to fishing season. Yeah. Those cuts to fishing seasons are laying upon you and I and all the other fishermen in Puget Sound. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that part, of the, that part of this lawsuit is still intact, it's still in play. And uh, we are submitting information to Buck to, to bolster that and to, to answer some questions that the judge had. But uh, we're, we're still in the game. Um, a couple of our components of our lawsuit did get dismissed, but uh, the main the main thrust of it, the core of it, is still intact, and we're still moving forward. Fantastic. Uh, we, hope, you know, we hope he rules here in the next couple of weeks in our favor to keep this thing going. We don't anticipate a real uh, quick resolution. I mean, this is the courts, and I've learned a heck of a lot in the last year about how slow things go and how nasty things can get. But, uh, you know, we're doing our best. We're, we're fighting the fight to, to save, basically to save salmon. You know, we're, we're primarily a conservation group. We're trying to save salmon, and that in turn will save fishing. Yeah. You know, if we, if we can get this over-harvest halted, if we can get these fish coming back, if we can get, then we can get our seasons back. Then we unite, get back on the water. Yeah, That's kind of the sequence we have yeah. to go here. Well, so. uh, hats off to you and uh, Mark and the the rest of the gang. That's all putting in their time. 
uh, putting this together, digging up the information and, you know, getting represented in, in moving forward with this. So small victories along the way, uh, cumulatively, when we're all said and done, <clears throat> um, folks are chiming in here. Thank you, Fish Northwest. Um, absolutely. You guys are doing, you know, doing uh, the good work that many don't have the courage to do. And you're not, you know, you're not getting on there blasting people on social media. You're not uh, discrediting and being disrespectful to co-managers. You're just fighting for what's fair. You're just representing the recreational side to a level that we have not That's been exactly right. for years, yeah. right? So, and there's, I think... There, yeah, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing anti-tribal about this. No. Nothing. We're not trying to pick fights with other people. No. We're trying to follow the facts and follow the, where the, the truth where it leads here. Sure. And if you want to read about what we're doing, go to fishnorthwest.org. Every post I make uh, on Facebook is, is placed on there as well. You yeah. can read all about our background. You can read our backings. You can see where to donate. Right. Um, all of that is on fishnorthwest.org if you want to check us out. Yeah, Fish, uh, fishnorthwest.org. And they can check out your Facebook fa- page, Fish Northwest. Uh, again, uh, thank you for what you guys are doing. We'll stay in touch uh, as I uh, you know, dial you or, or uh, mark up from time to time just to get caught up on what's going on. You guys get some movement on this thing. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone and let me know what's going on so we can get you back on and, and update folks as to the progression, if we could. Yeah, we certainly will, Dwayne. Thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Brett. Have a great evening. We'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. Brett Rosen, president of Fish Northwest, doing some good work. Again, you know, this is not any type of uh, uh, bashing in any way, shape, or form. This is just, you know, very matter-of-fact, letting the science and the the numbers, the numbers don't lie, okay? And, um, you know, one of the the topics that is seldom addressed uh, to the level it needs to be is harvest. We talk hydro, we talk a lot of habitat, we talk a lot of hatchery reform and hatchery wild and all those things. And harvest is one of the H's that's recognized and seldom, if ever, talked about because we don't want to, you know, I don't know, make enemies. We don't want to we don't want to make folks mad. We don't want to make negotiations stuff. But sometimes at the end of the day, harvest needs to get out there on the table. The numbers need to be looked at and all sides need to, you know, put it out there for everybody to see. These guys are simply progressing through the legal system and the process, bringing the numbers as they are, and uh, just showing in a very matter-of-fact professional way on how things are not necessarily always balanced and fair, and all they're asking for is 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 it to be balanced and fair. So uh, we'll keep in touch with the, with the folks there at Fish Northwest. Uh, again, they're doing the work that a lot of other people just steer clear from and don't want to take on. So uh, hats off to them. All right, that's going to do it for us this week here at Fish on Northwest. Uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. want to remind you all, uh, if you didn't catch the entire show, you can catch part of our show each and every Friday morning as we spool up a couple segments from our weekly show on our Fish Hunt Northwest podcast. You can find it at Apple, Google, iHeart, uh, Radio, Spotify. It's out there on a number of platforms. It's uh, fresh and relevant content. You can grab those uh, weekly, Friday morning, listen to them on your way to work. Uh, share that content as well, if you would, please. Get folks downloading our podcast. We really appreciate it. With that, have a great week. Get through the weekend. Uh, get in some fishing when the rivers drop. Next week, I think Tommy should be back. We'll catch up with him on his elk hunt. There's going to be a lot of fishing discussion to get to as the water is dropping. The coho are running. And I guarantee when this water drops, we're going to have plenty of chum to get out there and play with. Have a great week. Be safe. See you next week right here at Fish on Northwest. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Fish Hunt Northwest weekly podcast. I want to remind everyone that you can catch our weekly live stream show on our Facebook page and, of course, our YouTube channel every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. West Coast time. 
You'll get our insightful in-studio interviews, our extremely detailed how-to segments in the Bait Lab, the infield segments we bring to you when we're on the water or in the woods, and of course, our amazing cooking recipes in the kitchen with co-host Sherry England and chef Jeff Maxfield. Give us a follow on our Facebook page at Fish Hunt Northwest. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fish Hunt NW. Find us on Twitter and Instagram, and finally, go to our webpage at www.fishhuntnw.com for all the latest and greatest info. Join us each week here on our podcast. Join us each week at our live production. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.